0: following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, We're continuing in the book of Philippians, uh, which we've been calling the book of encouragement, and we've spent a handful of weeks in the first half of chapter one in Philippians, uh, which encouraged us in our relationship with others, so it encouraged us in our friendships. And now we turn our attention to the second half of chapter one, we're going to spend the next few weeks finishing chapter one, where we find encouragement in the midst of life struggles. And so, remember, we mentioned that there are six kind of mini themes within this big theme of encouragement in the book of Philippians. And the first theme was uh, encouragement for friendships, and now we go into encouragement in the midst of life struggles. And so we're going to read, uh, starting in verse 12 to 18 in chapter one. Let's follow along here. Philippians 1 knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What we're going to uh, come to during the next few weeks is seeing this unpleasant Painful, even life-threatening circumstances did not rob Paul of his joy, of his encouragement. It'd be difficult to miss the focus of this passage uh, today and the rest of chapter 1. The focus is that a right perspective of Christ and the gospel transforms our real-life situations. It transforms our struggles. It transforms how we view and engage in the world around us. So Paul invites us into this perspective. He says, I want you to know. And he he says this, he's saying, follow me along in this, because I'm about to say some things that are going to be really tough. They're going to be counterintuitive, they're going to be very difficult, but follow me, follow what I'm saying, follow this reasoning, pay close attention. In a moment, I'm going to tell you that all the suffering that I've experienced and am currently experiencing has brought me joy, has brought about joy in my life. As crazy as this sounds, this is what he wants us to, to hear. So it's possible, and I'm writing to you as he's saying, that you can also have joy in the midst of your struggles. And so this passage is to encourage us in our struggles, in our suffering, in our difficulty in life. And I want to, uh, right at the onset, I, I want to I make a clear distinction that being joyful in our suffering is not the same as being joyful of suffering. So it's not, uh, what, what is, we are not meant to be happy as Christians when bad things happen. Uh, we're not meant to merely put on rose-colored glasses when things are troubling and say, you know, if I trust in Jesus and if I follow Christ and, and if I believe in Him, then I need to not be bothered by this. I need to just have joy. I need to, I need to be okay. But there is pain. Uh, maybe you've had these questions cross your mind. Can I trust Jesus? Can I be mature as a follower of Him? Can I be faithful and still feel sorrow? And sadness and pain in life. And I want you to know that the Bible gives an incredible amount of evidence to say yes. And not only does it give us permission to feel sadness and sorrow and grief in the, in the midst of struggle, but if anything, it, it almost guarantees it. It almost tells us that we should expect it. That we should expect trouble in life and sorrow in life. And that is why we need encouragement. That's why all of us need encouragement. And Paul brings that encouragement to his friends encouragement for the struggles in life there's encouragement and joy in the midst of struggle but we need the right perspective and his encouragement resides in in his ability to have a perspective a right kind of perspective in his struggle he says my imprisonment is for christ my life and everything in it including my struggles are all for christ we are shown this all for christ perspective all of life All for Christ. A biblical understanding of being a a disciple of Jesus is what Paul is demonstrating here. That my life, this is what a disciple says, my life and everything in it belongs to God. It is for Him. And so everything in my life finds meaning only when it finds meaning in Christ. The meaning of wealth and possessions and all that I have finds meaning when it's found in Christ. The meaning of, of sex and relationships have meaning when they're found in Christ the meaning of power and influence, and even the meaning of my struggles and my difficulty in life find meaning when they are found in Christ because it is all for Christ. Paul's life and everything in it finds meaning when it's found in him. So this is this all-for-Christ perspective. And it's expressed in these verses here, and that's what I want to walk through with you. What does it look like to have this all-for-Jesus perspective? Let's look further into what this perspective looks like. The first one is, that the gospel is truly good news. Imprisonment for Paul, suffering for Paul, has turned out to to do the very thing that he desired most, to further the saturation of the gospel, the good news of Christ in his life and in the world around him. Evangelism, you've heard that word? Evangelism means telling the good news. An evangelist is a, a good news teller. It's easy to think of evangelism as something else, maybe just the transfer the, trans, the transfer of information and knowledge about, uh, about a man who once lived, about Jesus who lived, died, and rose again. But Paul is passionately pers- pursuing and passionate about the good news for a fallen and broken world. He's passionate about the only answer for the real struggles in life, the gospel and Jesus Christ. The gospel is good news because it says that even when we give everything and might lose everything in life, we still have everything when we have Christ. This is good news. Paul's singular passion in his life was the gospel. He tells us that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of what it communicates What it tells. Why would Paul be ashamed of the gospel? Well, for one, it it says something very unpopular. It says that, well, the world tells us that in a thousand different ways, that the bigger we become, the freer we we will be. The richer, the more beautiful, the more powerful, the more security and liberty we will experience when we have more of those things. But the gospel says something different. The gospel says the smaller we become, the freer we will be. I'm reminded of this mythical story, uh, because I played a character in this mythical play in the sixth grade, and it scarred me, and I have never been the same. <laughs> it's the mythical story of, of Narcissus, uh, maybe you know him, and uh, he was this mythical character that uh, he hunted in the woods, and, and there was this, this beautiful woman who, uh, <clears throat> who pursued him, her name was Echo, and he, she, she loved him so much, and followed him around like a puppy, and like a lost puppy, and, and he wouldn't have anything about it because he did not love her, he did not desire her, he didn't see anything in her that caused him to love her and didn't want his, her love in return. And one day, while hunting in the woods, he comes across this this water, this brook, and he puts his weapons down and he bends down to get a drink of water, and he sees his reflection in the water, and instantly he falls in love. <laughs> he doesn't realize that it's his own reflection, but he is so uh, captivated by this person that he has found, and he, he, he tells stories, and, 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 and he laughs, and the person uh, laughs back, and he is like, wow, we're just hitting it off, and we, we have so much in common, and he becomes consumed with this relationship with this person in in the water, and he doesn't realize it's, it's himself. He, he doesn't know it's him, and he stays there carrying on this conversation forever and, to the point where he Dies of starvation right there by the brook. And there's something in us, somewhere along the line, that we all become narcissists. We look at ourselves and we say, this is where my answer is. That is the answer. This is the answer to my longing, to my emptiness, to my loneliness, to all of my burdens. I have finally found it. We look at ourselves not realizing that's what we're doing, and we say, this is where I will find happiness. In becoming that person that, I've, that I want to become, becoming the person God wants me to become, becoming the person that other people want me to become, that is going to be my answer. We turn inward, and when we see good things, it goes to our head, and we become proud. And when we go inward, and we see bad things and ugly things, it goes to our heart, and we feel shame. And there's this constant battle between pride and shame and trying to be that perfect person. But what the gospel says is we were never meant to carry that burden. We were never meant to turn inward for life and for joy and encouragement and satisfaction. The gospel is such good news. And Paul is not ashamed of it because it's the power of salvation. For all who believe, we are trapped in having this conversation with ourselves when we look inward for real life, joy. The gospel is freeing, because the answer is not in us. it is outside of us, and it is a gift to us. The gospel is for those who have realized that, that they need a savior, that the answer is outside. So our encouragement in the midst of our struggles comes from a perspective that realizing that the gospel, the good news of Christ and his work on our behalf is truly good news. And so we return to it often for comfort. We return to it for encouragement. We return to it continually for power. Everything that God does is meant to move us in one direction and that direction is closer to him. Everything he does is meant to move us closer to him. And Paul sees his imprisonment and his struggles as doing exactly that. And he says, I rejoice in that. Because this is good news. And this good news is being, is being amplified. It's being magnified. It's going throughout my life and in the life of others. All for Jesus. And I want more of this good news and if this is giving me an opportunity to go back to him for comfort and not seeing my comfort in my circumstances, but being forced to go to him and to wrestle with that discomfort, then that's exactly what I want. The next thing that Paul says that he shows us as an implication of this all-for-Jesus perspective is this, that the gospel is always advancing, even in unlikely and unexpected situations. It advances, it propels forward forward and it brings life wherever it reaches. One of the disadvantages of being a pastor in the 21st century is I was never able to talk about Jurassic Park because it happened so long ago. Uh, but now they're making a new movie of Jurassic Park, and so I'm going to talk about Jurassic Park. For many of you who have no idea what Jurassic Park is, the movie about dinosaurs on an island, uh, for all the youngsters out there. Uh, next, next week I'll do an analogy about Seinfeld and explain to you what that is. Um, now, one of the Now here it is. Jurassic Park, in order to control life, right, they're they're genetically uh, um, making dinosaurs on this island. Uh, They only breed in a controlled environment, and so they only breed females. And so they release the females out into the island so that they don't breed and they don't get, you know, you know what happens, they don't breed and and make more dinosaurs. So the scientists wanted to control it, uh, to control this breeding, and so they only bred females. But then there's this one scientist, this kind of crazy, kooky scientist, and he says, well, all I'm saying is that life finds a way. And sure enough, they breed, and they lay eggs, and the eggs hatch in the wild. And they skip over that crucial point in the plot of like, well, how? (laughs) Uh, But that's not the point. The point is is that (laughs) life finds a way. Life finds a way. And what we see, the encouragement that we have here is that the gospel finds a way, that life finds a way, the gospel finds a way in the most unlikely and unexpected circumstances. And this is the promise of God to us, that he's encouraging us and saying, this does not thwart my plans, this does not throw off the plot for my glory and your joy, this does not change things, it will find a way, and it advances And Paul sees this. He says, it is always advancing, and I'm glad for it because I see it advancing. And there are three unexpected ways where he sees this, the gospel finding a way and advancing, even in unlikely circumstances. One, the Roman guards are being converted. The Christians, who at a time are being very thinned out because of all the persecution of Christians, he's seeing the Christians are being emboldened. They are being encouraged. by his imprisonment, and they're being motivated to spread the gospel more. And thirdly, God is using wicked people. He is using wicked Christians, and Christians doing the the right thing for the wrong reasons. He's even using evil as a means of his plans to come about. Three very unlikely situations. Let's look at the Roman guards. And I want to use this analogy, kind of put it in our, our, our frame of mind. Consider this metaphor that... He goes to the Roman guards and and he's now converting them. Okay? So consider this metaphor. Paul has this deep conviction to minister to the Secret Service and members of Congress and the President of the United States, okay? He doesn't know how he's gonna get there. How am I gonna get to DC? How am I gonna find myself in, a, in an environment where I will have a captive audience to spread the gospel to these people who, who desperately need it? They're heavily guarded guarded, they're very powerful, it's a lost cost. I'll never get in there. I can never have their ear. He gets arrested and locked up at Capitol Hill. And he, as he awaits trial, every member of Secret Service is handcuffed his hand to Paul for, and four-hour shifts, 24 hours a day. They take turns for two years. And as he is in prison, in the meantime, members of Congress, Congress are coming and going and hearing of the stories. And they're asking questions like, who is this guy chained cuffed to Secret Service? And they, they figure out over the course of a time, everybody on Capitol Hill and all of the guards and all the Secret Service are hearing about Paul and his message. And over time, they hear this story, and they see he's not a wicked man. He's not here in prison for political reasons. He's not here for wicked reasons. This is an honest man suffering as a criminal, and he has done nothing wrong. What is his message he is talking about? He's pursuing joy, and he's loving his enemies, and he's been imprisoned unjustly. And we are led to believe by this passage that many of them are converted. And Paul is so happy about this. He's saying, guys, we couldn't have planned this better. I've been wanting to get in there. And now they see me as their prisoner, but they are my captive audience. And they see the life of God working in me, and they are being changed. I never would have had an an opportunity otherwise. The very people that I have come to bring the gospel to have arrested me and chained me to themselves, how could we not be amazed at how God is working? Do you see how this perspective changes his joy and his encouragement? If his perspective was different, like, you guys are hurting my opportunity, you're hurting what God has called me to do, you're inflicting pain and this is unjust and I'm going to pray that God comes and destroys you and gets the final word, but he is saying, the gospel finds a way. He finds a way in unlikely situations. And he wants the Philippian church to know, and he's going to do the same for you. And he wants Holy Cross to know, and he's going to do the same for you. Be encouraged that the gospel always advances. It always finds a way. What you are going may cause great grief and sadness and sorrow, but God knows. And he desires to not just rescue you from it, but to, but to transform you in it so that you can be encouraged that God is working in it, that nothing is uh, mundane, that nothing is out of place, that all things matter to God, even this. He knows the gospel is moving forward no matter what the circumstance. He didn't see a roadblock to God's plans, but an opportunity to embody the hope that is in him to a watching world that, that does not know God or does not care about God. He is giving a reason and a hope for that is within him. And this is power that is going out. Look at the Christians. So we look at the, the Roman guards. Now look at the Christians who are being encouraged. He would prefer, Paul would prefer freedom. I know it. I know he would prefer freedom to imprisonment. But he is so glad that his imprisonment is is encouraging others and producing others in boldness of their faith. His words exactly? He rejoices. He rejoices. In this, I rejoice that my imprisonment has caused you to be more bold less afraid to go out and tell everybody about this good news. Look at the Christians who are, are kicking Paul down now. Now look at the ones that are wickedness in some way they are spreading the gospel out of a motivation that seeks to hurt paul that seeks to harm him that seems seeks uh, to like rub salt in a wound and just make it really sting really bad they want to hurt him and paul's saying god is even using these struggles the wickedness that is in them a bad motivation in their heart to carry out his purposes we often see our struggles or even the struggles that are inflicted on us from others, from, the, from, from people that hate us, the people that are unkind to us. We see these as hindrances to God's work. And Paul sees his struggles as a tool for advancing God's work. So in this point, the gospel advances in unlikely areas, in unexpected ways. And I bet if you and I would look more for it and believe this, and ask ourselves as we get up in the morning, God, how will you work? Allow, allow me to expect you and to see you and to be patient for you and watch for how you work. I bet you and I would see the gospel advancing in these unexpected ways more and more. Instead of just writing it off and saying, well, this can't be part of what God is doing. This is, this is a, a mistake. This is something that is keeping me from what God wants to do. And God says, unbelievers are mine. Believers are mine. And those who seek to do wickedness are mine. No one gets to tell me what to do. No one gets to ruin my plans. This is something we can just have great encouragement in. And let's look lastly at how this all for Jesus perspective works out in this passage. It's the gospel's ability to evaluate and reorder our life. Where does this passion and priority come from of Paul to feel this way? It comes from a conviction that all of life belongs to God. All of life, all for Jesus. The most challenging, I think, one of the most challenging and most difficult and most revealing questions in the Bible that will ever be asked of us is this question. And it's the question that Paul asks. He's like, well, does he ask a question in there? Yes, he does in verse 18. What then? What then? So he's describing all of this. He's describing all of these obstacles, all of these things. And he says, what then? What then? What gives? What do we do now? How should I think about all these things that God is doing? What should be my disposition in life? What should should I do? And what should you do when you face struggles? In light of all that is going on in your world, what are you going to do? Well, my first step was going to whine a lot. I was going to complain. Uh, And then after that step, I'm just going to blame somebody. And to be honest with you, I haven't gotten to step three, but that's, that's my plan as of now. And Paul is saying, what are we going to do beyond that? What then? Things not going the way you plan? What then? People are hurting you some intentionally? What then? You're confused and you're seemingly out of options in your life? What then? It is in this question that exposes our true heart idols for what they are. The things that we rely on to make us feel like we matter, but we can never they can never deliver in times of difficulty. It is this question that reveals where we have wandered from God and where we need to repent of and turn back to him for comfort. Paul is being kicked while he is down by fellow Christians. He has the right to be pretty discouraged. He is in prison for a long time, can't do anything on his own. He had a chance to make something good. Uh, He he had a chance to, to, to take something good, like the approval of others, and make it an idol, but he didn't. Instead, what it looks like he shows us what it looks like to put your faith to work. This is where he proves to us that he is not just putting on a good face for his friends, for his brothers and sisters in Christ, and even some his his children in the faith. He is not just showing us that a Christian ought to be a very optimistic person. He is not seeing life through rose-colored glasses. His faith is working as it should as he answers that question for us. His theology is working as it should. What he believes about the gospel is having an effect on how he feels and what he does and his perspective on life, even in the midst of his struggles. And he is saying, okay, faith, okay, gospel, it's time to work. It's time to come to life in this situation. This is where it needs to make sense. And he's struggling through that and he comes up with this, his deep conviction rests on the truth that he knows about the gospel. That God's very son was unjustly murdered. Think about this. God's very son was unjustly murdered. And God brought about his divine and good and loving and wise intentions through the death and life of Jesus. And by his Spirit, he is carrying out the same divine and good and loving and wise intentions in the world through himself, through the church, and through those outside of the church. God, how could, you, how, could this be, uh, how could you take good, how could you make good out of these wicked things that are happening? Do you have any idea what this is like to feel this way? My very son was in that exact position, even more so than you. We are never more in touch with reality than when we choose to trust God in the midst of struggles because of what he did for us on the cross. We are never more in touch with understanding and resting in the gospel when in the midst of struggle we are saying, I am encouraged because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Unjustly murdered, Died, lived the lived the life that I should have lived that lived, that I failed to live, I rebelled against you, and and you have been unjustly killed, and you died, and you rose from the grave to give life. God knows a thing about the gospel advancing in unlikely circumstances and unexpected ways. Because of the gracious sacrifice of Jesus on behalf of sinners, there is nothing that doesn't fit. There is nothing that doesn't have a place. There's nothing mundane and useless. There's nothing that should ever take greater passion in our lives than Christ and the gospel. That's Paul's perspective. Nothing, even my imprisonment. And what we will come to see even next week, he'll say, even death itself, nothing can take the place of what God has done for me. So Paul brings us through as a good pastor does when he is struggling. He gives us a model to follow and an exhortation to follow his way of finding encouragement in his struggles. The gospel is good news. It is the power of God in the midst of our struggles. It is absolute good news because it is the gospel. In the gospel, we find the meaning of all things. It is the gospel that calls us back to find comfort in God. The gospel, or God, advances his loving work through us through unlikely circumstances even the unexpected ways he's doing in your life it cannot be stopped it cannot be stopped that those from those who hate god manipulate god use god misunderstand god it cannot even be uh, manipulated by those who love god and then he says what then we all have to ask that question so what now pastor in fort lauderdale Fla- florida tolian Chavidgin, says this in his book called glorious ruin That's talking about the role of suffering and sorrow in the life of a Christian. I would recommend it to to anybody who wants to know more about this topic. He says, There's nothing like suffering to remind us how not in control we actually are, how little power we ultimately have, and how much we ultimately need God. In other words, suffering reveals to us the things that ultimately matter. Paul makes it clear I'm not rejoicing in my suffering, I'm not glad that things are going so poorly. I rejoice in, in that Christ is being proclaimed, advancing in my life and in the life of those around me. And that is what ultimately matters to me. The life of the gospel being manifest in my life and in the life around me. That is my reason for life. That's my reason for being here. And that is my ultimate joy. And so this suffering reveals to me what ultimately matters. It, 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 it uh, challenges my comfort. It challenges my theology. It challenges my, my encouragement. But as I remember what Christ has done for me, I'm encouraged. I realize what ultimately matters. Because this is ultimately what we need, and until we rest in the gospel, our joy will be small, and it will be non-existent in times of real struggle. The net gain in Paul's struggle with the advancement was the advancement of the gospel. It's like, well, Paul, what comes out of this? What comes out of all this struggle in your life? The advancement of the gospel. And that, and that alone, is cause for great joy. So let's follow Paul's example, his exhortation, to ask ourselves that question of what now? What then? What do we make of all of this? If the gospel is good news and we have the favor and delight of God through Jesus Christ, then his gospel is advancing in our lives and nothing is by mistake. It doesn't mean things aren't painful and horrible and grievous and even very evil at times. But it means that God God is is not forbidden or not unable to, to work through all of those situations to bring about his ultimate good and his ultimate plan. This is the promise that we have. So let's take heart. Let's be encouraged that in the midst of our struggles, God cares. Let's pray together. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com.